0: The Cullen Commission report into money laundering. I hope that today will mark a turning point for the way that governments deal with money laundering in this province.
1: More than a hundred recommendations to keep criminals from washing their dirty money in BC. No let up in the long lineups for passports. What the government is doing to take the guesswork out of wait time. And the futile fight against high water.
2: The creek was just pouring into my yard.
1: The local state of emergency and major cleanup in the interior.
3: You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6.
1: Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. The Cullen Commission presented its report into money laundering in BC, making more than 100 recommendations to crack down on it. Here are the key takeaways. Cullen recommends establishing an independent anti-money laundering commissioner who would provide oversight. He also recommends establishing a dedicated provincial money laundering intelligence and investigation unit. Law enforcement bodies have to make better efforts to follow the money and pursue charges. Seizing assets from criminals must be pursued more vigorously and there should be more effective regulation of mortgage lending. We have team coverage of the systemic and political failures that allowed billions of dollars in dirty money to flow through this province. We begin with John Waugh, who has been following this story closely for more than three years. John.
4: That's right, Chris, three years and $15 million later. And now we have this 1800 page final report. And the question many people are asking, did the gamble of time, money and resources deliver on the payout? of truth and accountability. As bags of dirty money were brought into BC casinos and the stacks of $20 bills piled up onto the cash cage counter. It was also mounting evidence and multiple warnings. It was criminal cash.
0: For too long, money laundering has been kept on the sidelines for police, for law enforcement, for regulators and for governments.
4: Commissioner Austin Cullen releasing his public inquiry report into money laundering in this province. And the failure to stop the flow of illicit funds extends far and wide. But to a large extent, the dirty buck stops here.
0: Money laundering has rarely been given priority. Uh, too often, it has been largely ignored. Cullen
4: stating provincial ministers responsible
0: for gaming at the time
4: were all made aware of the concerns but failed to do more. The commissioner singling out public statements made by Rich Coleman in 2011 after the head of BC's Proceeds of Crime Unit sounded the alarm that dirty money was flooding into casinos.
0: He did not agree with what I had said and further that he had uh, spoken to my superiors and they agreed. Yeah, I probably went a little too far out with that answer.
4: Cullen stating they posed a real risk of misleading the public into believing that there was no basis for concern about suspicious transactions in the province's casinos at a time when Mr. Coleman had good reason to believe that there was cause to be worried. Was there a government failure to act? Yes. Was it corruption?
1: No. None of those failures were motivated by... uh The hope of personal, financial, political, or or
5: some other type of gain.
4: The BC Lottery Corporation bearing the brunt of much of the blame for not heeding the warnings and instead focusing on a counter-narrative. The report states they stood by and permitted BC casinos to accept vast sums of illicit cash. BCLC's approach reflected a completely unacceptable and unreasonable risk tolerance.
0: I think there was a lack of will uh, that, um, that underlay Uh, BCLC's um, approach to the the question. Within the
4: 101 recommendations made by the commissioner to address ineffective FinTrack oversight and under-resourced policing, the proposed appointment of a BC anti-money laundering commissioner and dedicated investigations unit.
5: The province can no longer rely on or wait for federal responses to address this problem.
4: A more strict source of funds requirement on buy-ins at BC casinos is also being recommended. And while money laundering was determined not to be the cause of housing unaffordability in this province, better reporting measures are needed in the mortgage lending industry
0: and other sectors. Law enforcement and regulators will need to be focused and committed to change. Because one
4: thing the Cullen Commission has made clear, criminals are always looking for new places for their dirty money to flow. Now, while the commissioner pointed out several failures in the system and an overall lack of will to ask, When we asked him what he thought drove it, was it incompetence, was it greed, was it willful blindness, he did not have an answer. Now, Global News also spoke to some of the whistleblowers that were key in triggering this public inquiry in the first place. One word they used to describe their reaction to the findings was gutted.
1: Chris? All right, John, thanks very much for that. And, of course, many did wonder if politicians in charge at the time would face more blame in the Cullen Commission report. As you saw, it mentions Rich Coleman. It also mentions Christy Clark, Shirley Bond, and Mike DeYoung with no evidence of corruption. And as Richard Zussman reports, that is not the political accountability many had hoped
0: for a failure to act. I think the government took reasonable steps, but not uh, sufficient steps.
6: Concerns raised about former Premier Christy Clark and former gaming ministers Rich Coleman, Mike DeYoung, and to a lesser extent, Shirley Bond. The Cullen Report reading, more could have been done by Mr. Coleman and Mr. DeYoung who served in that role, that being Minister of Gaming, for extended periods during the evolution of this crisis.
1: One of the key failings that he identifies
5: is... The failure of certain individuals to ensure um,
3: that suspicious funds that were being received weren't contributing to the provincial revenue stream.
6: A fine line emerging between not doing enough and corruption, but in Cullen's mind, a clear distinction.
5: While he found failures, he did not find they were motivated by a corrupt purpose. I'll say frankly, uh, that as a politician, I wouldn't be satisfied with a sash uh, awarded by the commissioner that says not corrupt Um, I hold myself
7: to a higher standard.
6: On Christy Clark, the commissioner finding she knew about suspicious behavior back in 2015. The report reads, Ms. Clark failed to determine whether these funds were being accepted by the casinos and in turn contributing to the revenue of the province and failed to ensure such funds were not accepted. And on current MLA and former Minister Mike DeYoung, some praise for creating oversight, but again, not enough. The report reads, while the rate of suspicious transactions in casinos began to decline in the second half of Mr. DeYoung's tenure, it remained unacceptably high until the end of his tenure.
7: I think we are responsible.
8: Uh, And I I don't want to convey any uh, attempt to, uh, to shirk responsibility.
6: But there are still questions about the ramifications from that
9: responsibility. The buck never stops anywhere. It just gets passed around. So you have politicians say, well, I take responsibility. What does that mean? When a regular person takes responsibility, they might be fined. They might lose their job. In 2017,
6: voters did force the B.C. Liberals out of their big jobs. But with many of the key players gone, the party will wait to see what damage this report might continue to do. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's bring in investigative
1: reporter Sam Cooper now to talk more about the finding that there was no evidence of corruption in the report. But certainly, Sam, someone benefited from the unrestricted flow of cash through B.C. casinos.
9: It's 100% true, Chris. We heard a figure today that no one had seen before. 1.2 billion in large cash transactions in 2014, one year. Commissioner Cullen said many of these transactions looked like criminal proceeds. Duffel bags of cash coming into the casino late at night, bricks of cash, and senior officials in BC going back to about 2008 were repeatedly warned by subordinates that this type of suspected money laundering was growing. And yet that's not corruption certainly some people today are scratching their heads the reporters looking at the reports uh chris one thing jumped out at me uh specifically commissioner cullen pointed to he credited an rcmp investigation in 2010 that really got a handle on the method of money laundering it said that two specific casinos were using foreign high rollers as willing pawns in international money laundering and yet when, uh, when the officer went public about his concerns, uh, the former gaming minister, Rich Coleman, slapped his hands, said it's not happening. Commissioner Cullen had a different view. He said Coleman's comments posed a severe risk of misleading the public and could have impeded an RCMP investigation. So it's left to the public to ask, is that a form of corruption?
1: And we'll continue to do that. Thanks very much. Sam Cooper reporting in Vancouver. Thanks, Sam. The federal government has launched a new online tool to help would-be travelers plan ahead. It shows estimated wait times at passport offices and, spoiler alert, they're bad. Aaron MacArthur has more on a system overwhelmed and how the government is working to clear the backlog.
7: (laughs) The lineup of lawn chairs snakes around the shopping center. People seemingly resigned to their fate waiting for the government to sort out their passport application. I came here this morning at 6 a.m. to get in line. There's over 100 people. Applications mailed in March seem to have vanished into thin air. The government says it's working on the problem. 600 new hires since the beginning of 2022, and 600 more people reassigned to help deal with the backlog. Now the government is providing wait times for walk-ins on their website. In Vancouver and Richmond, it's six hours on Wednesday. Surrey, only four. A government like our government, within six months, can maybe marshal some resources and get things going. Uh, In six months, I think it's not a quick timeline. According to the government, more than 360,000 passports have been processed since the beginning of April. 2022 could see as many as 4.3 million Canadians with new travel documents. I've been dealing with this for three months and, you know, I've gone through being angry, being frustrated to almost uh, not caring anymore. And, and it's, it's uh, yeah, it's been, it's been crazy. Despite the delays, Service Canada says 72% of people receive their passports within 40 business days. At specialized sites where passports are printed, the government is issuing documents to 96% of people within 10 working days. Little comfort for the rest of the crowd forced to camp out for days at a time. Aaron MacArthur,
1: Global News. Charges have been laid in connection with the Save Old Growth protests on Monday. Vancouver police say three protesters have been charged after they tried to block traffic on the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge during the rush hour commute. Police allege they drove a car onto the bridge and then tried to lock themselves inside. Kathleen Higgins, William Winder and Deborah Tinton are all charged with mischief. They were released after a court appearance and promised not to block or impede traffic. Two others arrested are due back in court at a later time. The worst of the rain might be over, but there's a big cleanup ahead in the interior. The properties that got walloped by high water in just over a minute. New developments in the case of an Okanagan Falls man accused of repeatedly attacking his neighbors. The plea for help from his desperate family coming up. And up, up and away for a family on a flying adventure, how their endless vacation is really a gift to others. That's later, but right now, water is now receding in parts of the interior, but there are fears a Kelowna woman may have been swept into Mission Creek at the height of the flooding. While the search for her continues, some communities are trying to prepare for the possibility of more rising water. Kristen Robinson reports.
2: Search and rescue teams and RCMP sweeping Mission Creek again for any sign of a woman who went missing during high water.
5: We have teams going up and down the side of Mission Creek in case this person has fallen in, but there RCMP are also investigating to see that this person may be somewhere else.
2: 31-year-old Chelsea Cardno last seen leaving her Kelowna home at 8 a.m. Tuesday to walk her German Shepherd near the Mission Greenway. Cardno's vehicle later found in the area but there's been no sign of her or J.J. the dog. Nearby, homeowners are cleaning up after Mission Creek spilled its banks following significant rainfall. We knew that we were in for trouble. Jamie Ravinsky normally manages groundwater with pumps, but this time they weren't enough to protect her lower mission home from Tuesday's overnight torrent. Already, It was already all the way up to the house. And the creek was just pouring into my yard. It's never come over the top of the wall, so we broke records here. This is the first time in history it's come over top of the wall. And it's not over yet. Up to 10 more millimetres of rain is forecast through Thursday, along with rising temperatures. We still have the snow melt to come, and then we have uh, one or two nice days, and then we have about another week of more rain. So we don't know how much more, but there is going to be more. Parts of the Swamp under a flood watch. Shuswap River breached its banks, flooding and closing Enderby's Tui Park. High water levels expected to keep rising, with Shuswap Lake reaching its peak Sunday or early next week. We're looking at um, peaking about 349 metres, which is a, a pretty high level. Those living in flood-prone areas preparing their sandbag defence. In Lumbee, a localized flooding alert remains in place after several creeks overflowed during Tuesday's downpour.
8: It's getting worse every time it happens, and it's getting more frequent.
2: Kristen Robinson, Global News.
1: Isn't that the truth? All right, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for more on what we're seeing in the immediate forecast and what the risk is to those
10: potential regions. There. Yeah, and the southern interior is a big concern. Right now at this hour we're actually still tracking some thunderstorms. You can see that extending into the southeastern corners of central and the northeastern corners of the province. So there's lots of instability when we see the risk of thunderstorms. We could see intense downpours in a, in a short period of time and that's a big concern. I wanted to push this ahead towards tomorrow. It'll be a similar weather story. So we'll follow that from the northeastern corner, central and southern half of the province. And that risk of a thunderstorm is also going to give us that potential for more rainfall and increase the snow melt across the region. Flood concerns, this is the latest from the BC River Forecast Centre. The areas under the In Orange, rather, that's the flood watch. They may exceed bankful. the Quinal River, North and South Thompson included within that. All areas in yellow, we've got a high stream flow advisory and that extends in towards the Elk Valley. We will continue to watch this as river levels continue to rise. We haven't quite seen the peak, but this will likely take us towards the end of the week, potentially and towards the weekend as well. All right. I'll have more coming up along the south coast. We've got a wet one out there. We're tracking some rainfall. More coming Up very shortly, Chris.
1: Sure, looks like it. All right, thanks very much, Yvonne. We'll check in later. Conservation officers are pleading for help to locate an injured bear spotted near a highway in northern BC. Check out this photo taken by a passing motorist. It shows a grizzly bear with a gash on its head. That's actually a broken-off arrow stuck in there. The animal was spotted just off Highway 37 North. The BC Conservation Office Service is asking anyone with more information. to call the report all poachers and polluters the rap line just ahead tips to take advantage of price matching if you end up saving 20 a week it can
5: mean a huge difference in the long run
1: consumer matters shows you how to save even more than you might expect and the local pride group that just got an apology from the catholic church
11: Traffic has eased off pretty well in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge with most of the congestion on the Columbia Street on route to head south. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Wilson in Global One at the Patello Bridge.
3: Attention. Need the latest info on budgeting, personal finances, taxes, affordability, or any other money issues in this pricey province? Then get informed. Andrea examines Consumer Matters on Global News. With inflation at its highest
1: in more than 30 years, almost everyone is looking for ways to save money. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea joins us now with how price matching can help you keep more of your cash, and
12: Thanks, Chris. Price matching is often offered by retailers pretty much as build Stores will match the lower advertised price of an identical item from a competing retailer. While there are rules, it's generally an easy way for consumers to save more on groceries and other more expensive items like electronics or furniture. Now, while many retailers have dropped the practice of price matching, select stores will still reduce their price to match or even beat the price of the same product offered by their competitors. Personal finance expert Barry Choi recommends using apps like ReBee, which allows you to scan online flyers from different retailers. It allows you to search by store and product to see what's available. Once you find the lowest price for an item, confirm with the store you're going to visit if it will price match and have proof of the competitor's lower price. For example, the digital or physical flyer or the website on your mobile device. Price matching in general can save you time and money. Instead of going to several different stores to get the cheapest price, you can hit one store that matches prices and hopefully get everything you need at the lowest price without the extra travel expenses.
8: Now, it may not sound like a lot, but if you're trying to if you end up saving $20 a week, it can mean a huge difference in the long run. You know, reading the policy or the fine print is always the most important thing because the last thing you want to do is show up at the store, try to price match and then find out number
5: 1 the store doesn't price match or number
12: 2 that the item you're trying to price match does not qualify. How are you doing? In some cases, having the physical flyer is important, as some retailers will only match prices on items available in-store. Other stores will only match prices for stores that have the item in stock, so if something is only available online, you may not be able to price match. Every retailer has a different price-matching policy, and you need to be aware of the rules for each store. Some stores will allow you to price match before making the purchase, while others will refund the difference if you find a lower advertised price within 30 to 60 days of your purchase. It's also important to remember price matching typically applies to items advertised in a flyer. Also, check the privacy policy when downloading any app. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at globalnews.ca.
1: Every little bit helps. Thanks very much, Anne. A human rights complaint that pitted a B.C. Pride Society against the Catholic Church has come to a resolution after the church apologized, as Grace Key reports, church leaders regret making the LGBTQ two plus community feel unwelcome and excluded.
13: Local White Rock business owner Ernie Clawson says the hurt is going away. Three years ago, White Rock Pride Society filed a B.C. human rights complaint against the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Vancouver. It's now ended with an apology from the Church and commitment to move forward.
0: I think the, the turning point was when um, the Church came to us and said, you know, can we talk about this? And can we, can we come to a point where we uh, perhaps can come to an agreement and if we all get to know each other, then we can we can work towards that.
13: In April 2019, the Pride Society wanted to rent space for a fundraising gala at a community center owned by the star of the Sea Parish. They were denied. The society alleged discrimination based on sexual orientation. Both sides say the agreement is better than any outcome from a tribunal.
5: Well, we've certainly learned, and I think this is... With Pope Francis and over the last several years, we've learned that we need to focus on being a more welcoming church and we need to focus on loving well before we worry about church teaching. So I think this was a good example of where putting people in relationships first can actually get us further down the road than either a legal process or an administrative process.
13: When asked about defining the turning point in the complaint, both sides say it was communication.
5: I think it was a matter of not knowing each other well enough. So the initial request was met with some awkwardness, and looking back, I think we could have welcomed better and entered into a dialogue more effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what the parish and the archdiocese have done, and we've really enjoyed our time with the White Rock Pride Society.
0: I do believe that the church... Um, In this instance, they got to know us a little bit, and we're just people.
13: This July's Pride Week in White Rock will certainly give cause for a bit more celebration. Grace Key, Global News.
1: Coming up, a battle over evidence. What investigators found in a cabin linked to Amanda Todd's accused tormentor, and why defense doesn't want it included in trial? and the bear spray attack at a local high school that had students and staff running for the exits.
11: Delay for southbound traffic here tonight to the Massey Tunnel. There's this police incident completely off to the side, but everybody sees that and they're slowing down to take a look. Through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Ewison in Global One, high above the Massey Tunnel.
1: The man who randomly stabbed a Mexican tourist in a downtown Vancouver Tim Hortons early this year is going to prison. And a quick warning about the video we're about to show you. It's quite disturbing in nature. The attack, which was caught on security cameras, is one of a number of incidents that raise concerns about an increase in random violence in the city. 28-year-old David Moran, who has a long history of violent crime dating back to 2012, has pleaded guilty to aggravated assault. He's been sentenced to three years behind bars. The victim was critically injured, but survived. The trial of a Dutch man accused of harassing and extorting B.C. teenager Amanda Todd, before she took her own life, heard that Crown and defense were arguing over computer evidence. 43-year-old Aidan Coben has pleaded not guilty to five criminal charges, including possession of child pornography and criminal harassment. The Crown claims Coben is behind 22 fake user accounts used to sextort Amanda into performing pornographic acts online between 2009 and 2012 a digital forensic expert today agreed that a computer hard drive seized from the cabin where Coben was arrested was dirty and corroded but testified more than 99 percent of the files were still intact and recoverable defense wants the drive excluded because it's damaged the trial continues tomorrow many students and staff are recovering from a shocking experience when someone deployed bear spray at an east van high school this morning the vpd says it happened at killarney secondary just after nine a.m two teenagers who did not attend killarney entered the school and attempted to assault a student before deploying bear spray and then fleeing in a vehicle about two thousand students were evacuated and nearly two dozen students and staff who were sprayed were taken to a hospital as a precaution. Police have identified the suspects and they believe it was targeted. The family of an Okanagan Falls man is making a desperate plea for mental health support. We showed you last night how their son Martin is accused of violently and repeatedly attacking neighbors. The family says they don't have the tools to deal with his violent outbursts. Taya Fast reports.
14: Right now Martin is in limbo. He's supposed to be in the hospital.
15: Sylvia Tingson is talking about her son, Martin, who is currently being held at the Okanagan Correctional Facility after several violent
14: outbursts in the community. Martin needs a medical support, really, not in isolation in the correctional centre. How would you isolate an autistic boy already who is already isolated?
15: She says they've been unable to find Martin appropriate care as he struggles with mental health issues. But I just
14: really want... Uh, appeal to the system, uh, health system, to the interior system, to Community Living British Columbia, if you can work out together to help Martin. That's just, I, I'm saying my son, but there's going to be hundreds of sons in there that will basically like Martin. So if I don't advocate for Martin now, it's going to be a cycle, right?
15: Tingsu went on to say that the family has done what they can to support Martin, but they don't know what else to do. I'm not asking for full on
14: because I think uh, the system is also stretched, but also giving up and just saying we don't have any solution. We don't have... Of course there's always a solution. Global
15: News reached out to the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions regarding Martin's case,
14: but we did not receive a response in time for broadcast. We have to keep on advocating for our children because... With the right medication and the right support, they do strive.
15: Police say Martin was arrested last week after he violently attacked a neighbor. Because he was not bound by any court-imposed conditions prior to his recent arrest, police say there was no indication he was a danger to both the elementary school and senior center nearby. Martin was in court on Tuesday, but the family does not
14: know what his future will look like. We would ready any time to embrace our son, but he needs to be helped first. Penticton
15: RCMP was unavailable for an on-camera interview, but they did say Martin is known to police as someone who suffers from mental health concerns. They added that coordination between several agencies is ongoing to try and support Martin and his family. Taya Global News, Okanagan Falls.
1: And still to come, the flying family.
15: I thought my dad was joking.
1: How they're sharing their year-long adventure with everyone and contributing to a great cause and strong signals we are heading for a recession
3: the special stories that shape our province as suggested by our viewers this is bc with jay durant real people real stories this is bc with jay durant is brought to you in part by van camp Freightways, bc owned and operated for 75 years the
1: u.s central bank is attacking soaring inflation with its biggest rate hike since 1994 The Federal Reserve raised its benchmark rate by three-quarters of a percentage point. But as Global's Ann Gaviola reports, taming inflation might actually increase the risk of a recession in North America.
11: If you thought inflation in Canada was bad, well, it pales in comparison to what the U.S. is facing, the cost of living soaring at levels not seen in more than 40 years.
5: We're strongly committed to bringing inflation back down, and we're moving expeditiously to do so.
11: It's no surprise the American central bank took big measures to try to tame runaway inflation. The 1970s were a lesson on what not to do. By not acting quickly enough to tackle inflation for years, central bankers were then forced to act aggressively, increasing rates to 20% in the early 80s. And that pushed North America and most of the world into the deepest recession since World War II. The central banks of both Canada and the U.S. are signaling they're prepared to do a lot more and soon to tackle inflation. But there's concern that by targeting the rising cost of living, which shows up at the pumps, the grocery store and everywhere in between, the U.S. could go into a recession and Canada could follow. Bond and stock markets suggest that's in the cards, but economists are divided on whether or not it will come to be.
0: Well, because the bounce back from the pandemic was much stronger in the U.S., the chances of uh, it actually uh, having negative growth for two consecutive quarters is, is, is higher. And that
3: increases, in my view, the possibility, the probability that it could tip into
9: a recession. I don't think the most likely scenario is a recession.
11: Boosting interest rates taps the brakes on economic growth by making the cost of borrowing more expensive for households and businesses and cooling demand. But an economic which could come this fall, typically takes a toll on employment, household incomes, and the housing market. We've already seen a calming of the real estate frenzy that took over during the pandemic with ultra-low interest rates. Economists say people who took on variable rate mortgages they may not be able to afford soon is a real concern. And so are households that were hit hard by COVID restrictions.
9: Low-income households probably didn't say very much, and they're, they're really feeling the brunt of... The, the the rising cost of living.
11: Ann Gaviola, Global News, Toronto.
9: Prices go up interest
1: rates go up and the rain comes down. And that's why we brought Yvonne in right now to tell us when it's going to clear out of here again.
10: Yeah, great segue, because that is what we're tracking, rainfall, but it is just a blip in the forecast. It's not a complete washout for tomorrow. And I'll show you why in just a moment and more on what we can anticipate for a timeline. Here's what we're tracking though. We've got light rainfall reported out of the airport. Temperatures are sitting at 15 and an easterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. It's the green, that's the swath of moisture that we're seeing right across the board, heavier for a few spots, extending, along the west end right now. We're seeing it into the Fraser Valley and across the island as well. And this will continue overnight with this weather maker along the south coast but then it'll ease off as we get in through the afternoon. We've got that risk of thunderstorms still continuing. We've got lightning strikes just popping up into the southern interior central and even extending into the northeastern corners of the province. Now the plan for Metro Vancouver, it'll be cool. Overnight tonight will be down to 11 degrees. A bit of a soggy start for a Thursday morning heading out for work or school but then by the afternoon we'll be seeing a clearing on the way we've got some sunshine in the mix and temperatures warming up with highs up to 18 right around the average for this time of the year areas of concern though will be for the afternoon and early evening the northeastern corner central and southern half of the province will be tracking that risk of thunderstorms popping up across the region and will continue to be on flood watch for all areas especially for the southern half we can see that with the flood watch for the quenelle river the north thompson and the south thompson over the next few days where it may exceed bankfull in all areas In yellow once again is underneath the high stream flow advisory. Inland tomorrow, we'll see that risk of thunderstorms. The northeastern corners hanging on to that instability. The southern half through the day for tomorrow. Temperatures, though, for Kamloops still getting up to around 20 degrees, but it's the afternoon and early evening that'll be the concern. A cool day for Whistler tomorrow. Now for the Fraser Valley... Areas tomorrow through the afternoon and evening will be looking at that risk of thunderstorms and then highs anywhere between 18 and then 19 degrees. So we are going to be tracking some instability for tomorrow. It eases off through the afternoon. Looks to be dry, though, through the day on Friday. Chance of showers popping up late day Friday, the start of the weekend. The latter half of the weekend, that could change, though, looks to be the bright spot so far with highs up to 19 degrees. All right, tonight's weather window, a beautiful shot. This one captured in Coquitlam at Como Lake by Jamie. Chris?
1: Spot there. Okay. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Squire Barnes joins us now with look ahead to sports, and um, things did not go so well down I five <laughs> well, in the old. That's what, what did you call it? Well, the I five rivalry.
16: Yes, <laughs> yes. But it hasn't really been much of a rivalry. No. In the last five years, the Whitecaps haven't beaten Seattle since 2017, and uh, yesterday, yeah, it was pretty ugly. Pretty ugly.
6: Everything that
16: have gone wrong went wrong yes indeed four goals against nothing for the whitecaps they didn't even get a shot on goal i don't think anyway after feeling so good about themselves now the whitecaps are wondering what the heck went wrong
1: time to regroup all right thanks Squire. also tonight five in the sky the flying family that's delivering goodness to children around the world Cascadian clash, the Vancouver Whitecaps got Cascadian crushed, unfortunately. Yes,
16: the Sounders pushed them into the Puget Sound. Yes, they did. They were crushed like coffee beans at the original Starbucks (laughs) in Seattle. The uh, Vancouver Whitecaps and Seattle Sounders are longtime rivals in three different leagues, stretching all the way back to 1974. But in the last five years, this rivalry has been... Very one-sided, Seattle has not lost to the Whitecaps in 15 straight games, going back to April 14th of 2017. And last night, the Sounders' dominance over Vancouver was on full display at Lumen Field as they embarrassed the Caps 4-0.
17: For the second time this year, the Vancouver Whitecaps suffered a 4-0 loss on the road. And just like their season-opening defeat in Columbus, the Caps failed to register a shot on target last night in Seattle. Everything that
6: could have gone wrong went wrong, and, uh, but it's our fault mainly. Uh, the main thing that for me it's our fault is uh, the way that uh, we started the game, not intense enough,
17: not... Uh, uh, I would say locked in enough to do what we were supposed to do. What they were supposed to do was capitalize on a chance to jump into a playoff position for the first time this season. Instead, they watched their Cascadia Cup rivals leapfrog over them and three other teams to get into seventh place in the West. If we are not uh, uh, performing at the top of our skills,
6: uh, we, we're going we're gonna to lose... Uh, against every team, that's the thing. And uh, while uh, when we do it uh, like we
17: did in the last games that we are totally focused on the task, uh, it's, uh, it's hard for everyone to be tasked. In the past month, the Caps have had heroes step up to rescue a result in the dying minutes. To St. Ricketts, grabbed a 90th minute winner against Toronto. Erica Doy scored to avoid a loss to San Jose. Lucas Cavallini converted from the spot in stoppage time against Dallas. And Ryan Gall did the same against Rail Salt Lake. That's a total of seven points earned in the final minutes of a match. Take away those, and the Caps would be last in the league with just 10 points this season. Fortunately, they did fight to the end in those matches because it looks like they'll need to show that same resilience to rescue this season. And maybe last night's performance can be a reminder of what it takes to make the playoffs. Just it's one of those nights that, you know, you want to
16: forget, but we're going to need to look at it, see what we've done wrong. Um, and yeah, just
9: we can't repeat that performance.
16: OK, tomorrow afternoon we are going to find out if BC Place will be hosting games for the World Cup of Soccer in 2026. The feeling is Vancouver will be one of the cities that will be part of a three-country hosting job with the U.S. and Mexico also getting games. The bulk of the games, though, will be in the USA. Canada should get at least 10 games with Vancouver and Toronto the likeliest choices. Edmonton at one time looked to be a front-runner, but when FIFA came back to Vancouver after being rejected by the provincial government, And they did come back to us. We didn't chase them. Edmonton suddenly became a longer shot to get games. The way it looks, the most games one city could get is six. The minimum would be three. That's just a guess right now. And remember, in 2026, the World Cup will have 48 teams rather than the 32 that will be at this year's World Cup in Qatar. Game one, Stanley Cup final, Lightning Avalanche in Denver. Kemper. And the great playoff netminder Andre Vasilevsky. Let's begin. That's former giant Bowen Byram on the rush. And this will end up being a goal for Gabriel Landeskog. The captain finds the puck sitting behind Vasilevsky. Probably was going in anyways, but a little help is always nice. So it's one nothing. Then Nishkushkin's shot is deflected by Zach Bogosian, and that fools Vasilevsky. Now it's 2-0 for Colorado. However, Tampa gets one back. It's an odd goal. That's in. Nick Paul, 2-1. But a 5-on-3 for the Avs. Not so sure that should have been a 5-on-3, the second penalty they gave the Lightning. But Arturi Lekinen scores there. But as you can see, it's now 3-3 because the... uh, Lightning scored two goals in less than a minute in the second period. The champs don't go down easy. Uh, Gary Bettman says NHL revenues will be higher than ever before when this season is over following the Stanley Cup final. They figure at least $5.2 billion was brought in, and it actually might be a little higher than that when all the pennies are counted. And because of that, within two or three years, the salary cap will start to increase to the levels they thought it would get to before COVID hit. This year, or maybe next year I should say, the salary cap will be $1 million higher than it was this past season. It'll be $82.5 million. Hey, last night at Swangard Stadium, people there got to watch the world's greatest athlete, Canada's Damian Warner, Olympic gold medalist for the decathlon. Ran a couple of events last night. The long jump, which he won. And the uh, 110 meter hurdles, which of course are all part of decathlon events. He and all the athletes are prepping for the Canadians, which are coming up uh, June 22nd for four days in Langley, and then the Worlds are in July down in Eugene, Oregon. There you go.
1: Amazing performance, and it sounds like the Stanley Cup is off to the start we expected from those two teams. All right, just ahead, the flying family on a round-the-world trip to bring joy to children.
3: This is B.C. with Jay Durant, who's brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. B.C. owned and operated for 75 years.
1: Sarah McDonald is in with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Sarah?
12: Chris, we're on Flood Watch once again tonight, keeping a close eye on rising water levels across the province. Plus, the armed robbery and the standoff that left an entire B.C. town on edge all day. We have full details on a bizarre and brazen incident in Williams Lake. Plus, Squire is back once again tonight with highlights of game one of the stanley cup finals that is all coming up at 11.
1: sounds like a great game so far too Mm -hmm. all right thanks very much sarah as many families plan summer vacations few would attempt to cover as much ground as the one we're showcasing tonight on this is bc the porters are on the trip of a lifetime flying around the world in a small plane and as jay durant shows us many other children will benefit from their adventure
8: The porters are packing up for a family trip but the kids never expected this. Dad wondered if anyone wanted to spend 14 months flying around the world.
2: I thought my dad was joking. At first I didn't really think that it was actually a plausible idea. I didn't think that they were being serious about it.
8: So you didn't want to just load up the family van and go to Kelowna for the summer. That's not really our style. <laughs> Ian Porter has done some long adventure flights before, but this journey will take them all over the globe. 70,000 kilometers with stops in over 50 countries. Flying is the easy part. The bigger challenge is, is logistics of moving a family of five around the world with no set place to stay each night. Last year, Samantha and Sydney both got their pilot's license, so they'll be helping out at the controls.
2: My dad is chief pilot, and my sister and I will be flying co-pilot.
8: The motto for this journey is low and slow, usually only two and a half hours in the air, so no questions about how much longer until they get there from the back seat. But there will be some very long days together.
15: I'm sure there'll be some bickering here or there, and some of us will unplug the headsets, I'm sure.
8: They'll be visiting towns and villages along the way and hoping to raise a million dollars for SOS Children's Villages, which provide safe homes for vulnerable children.
11: They also offer uh, humanitarian assistance in in, uh, emergency situations such as in Ukraine.
8: The girls are taking a year off school. Brother Christopher will study online. All saying goodbye to friends who can't believe what they're doing.
2: Thinking that we're crazy. <laughs> Definitely my friends
15: think <laughs> that this is an insane adventure. The yeah.
8: But the stories they'll be able to tell everyone when they get home next year from the ultimate getaway. The porters may have just peaked when it comes to family vacation. I'm not thinking of topping this yet. I don't know if we can top it, but first thing we're like, we got to do it first. <laughs> then we'll worry about topping it. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News.
1: Flying off into the wild blue yonder. Well, the gray yonder around here, right now. We'll get to Avon in just a sec. But first, if you know someone who has a great story to tell, just like that, or something unique to BC you want to share with the rest of us, just email your ideas to Jay at BC at global news. .ca and yes rain moving through the region Guess. of Lower Mainland right now, Yvonne.
10: Yeah, we're tracking it. Uh, heads up, this will take us in towards tomorrow morning, so heading out to work or school. It is going to be a soggy one out there, but not a complete washout. That's the silver lining for tomorrow. It actually should ease off. We should even get, get into some sunshine through the afternoon. Bump up to 18 as the high for tomorrow. Increase in cloud cover, but dry throughout much of the day. A few showers could pop up late Friday and into the sa- into our Saturday. It's really still a few days out for the weekend forecast, but Saturday we may see more cloud cover, that chance for some showers, and then rebounding on our Sunday So.
1: All right, Yvonne, thanks very much. And that Stanley Cup final is underway, too. A hey, Squire, off to a good start. 3-3, three, three, good game. All right, thank you. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night.